Is it time to consider a change at quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks? And if you think that's ridiculous and you want to stop the video because you don't even want to consider it, there are enough of you who think it's a legitimate topic. It's been brought up on sports radio here this week. I'm here to tell you that if we look behind the numbers and we look at Pete Carroll's history, it may give you a different viewpoint. And so today, Drew Locke versus Geno Smith, and not just what I think needs to happen or will happen, but what I think it would take for Pete Carroll to consider a change. We're talking quarterbacks up next on Seahawks Forever. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast, in-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now here's your host, Dan Viennes. So we don't have a full-blown quarterback controversy here at all. It's nothing like that, but it is a topic that has gotten some run over the last couple of days, and that's what I do on this show. I address things that need to be addressed. The run defense, the offensive line, play calling, scheme, personnel, draft needs. It's what I do, right? It's what we do. It's what we like to talk about. And a lot of times I make decisions on, on what, to focus on on this show based on the chatter out there. What seems to be the topic of the day? And there's a lot of talk this week about Geno Smith and his performance over the last four games in particular, but even since late last year. And so I'm going to get into that, and I'm going to use some numbers. I'm going to even go back to their college days, look at their skill sets, look at some history with Pete Carroll when it comes to quarterbacks and his history of when he's been faced with the, uh, the possibility of making a change and discuss whether it's, it's even plausible or should be. Uh, before we get into that, though, some business to take care of. Hit that like button. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, please. Subscriber base continues to, to grow. I really appreciate that. Uh, if you listen on audio, there's an opportunity for you uh, to get rid of the ads. If you want to listen through Spotify, for just 99 cents a month now, right now, uh, you can subscribe to the show, the audio show, and uh, and get rid of those ads and have an ad-free experience. And uh, aside from that, if you really like what I do and you want to support the show, you can buy me a coffee or a beer at buymeacoffee.com. Many of you have done that, and I really appreciate that as well. And follow me on Twitter, always, at Seahawks Forever. Uh, it's kind of the best way to think up with or, or, or to keep up with my line of thinking. And, uh, and also get notifications of new shows and, and little previews and bits and pieces, things like that. If my voice sounds a little rough today. It is because, uh, if you're watching the, uh, the YouTube video, went and saw Kiss for the final time. I know I teased it on the last show. Uh, it was a great experience. It was a good time. 45 years to the month after I saw them for the first time in that same building. So it was kind of a neat full circle moment. And if any of you out there, elsewhere in the country are thinking about seeing them sometime in the next six weeks before they shut it down for good with a couple of shows at Madison square garden in their backyard. Um, and you're concerned because early in the tour, when this end of the road tour started and right before the pandemic, there were some real questions about Paul Stanley's vocal performance, uh, really rough. He had had a procedure done and was really struggling and there were accusations and even some video on YouTube that was pretty compelling that he might've been singing over some tracks or lip syncing in spots. Uh, 100% live Monday, 100% live and uh, sounded as good as he possibly can, better than I thought he would at the age of 71 and was really, really glad that I went. So that was a good time. On back to football, 
The Seahawks are five and three. They're tied first place in the NFC West uh, with the San Francisco 49ers. As they get set to come back home and take on the Washington Commanders and try to rinse that foul taste of this 37 to three drubbing uh, out of their mouths that they took in Baltimore at the hands of the Ravens. Uh, interesting matchup for the Ravens to come back this week as well and play the Cleveland Browns, who you're literally talking about the number one and number two ranked defenses in almost every category going head to head. And Deshaun Watson now after his mysterious injury issue uh, looked good last week. Um, so the Browns, Browns may be uh, kind of making a statement. So we'll see how the Ravens perform against that defense and how that Ravens offense performs against a very good defense. We're not here to talk about defense today, although we could because we're talking about a three-game slide now where progressively that run defense has gotten worse. It's just one of the issues plaguing this team right now, one of many. And I don't think you can take a position group on this entire roster and not find reason to criticize or critique or be concerned. Uh, but yet it always goes back to the quarterback, doesn't it? Always. It's the easiest thing to do for us as fans. And now with the platform of social media, it's easier than ever for us to get our opinion out there. And so you're seeing a lot of that. Uh, somebody on Twitter today posted a four and a half minute video that was very well produced where they, they strung together all the negative tweets from Sunday, calling for Gino to be benched, calling for Drew Locke to be inserted. Look, Gino's performance over the last few weeks has been concerning. I've talked about it on the show at length. But, you know, Pete keeps talking about how it's not all on Geno, and he's come to his defense this week. There are some severe issues that that offensive line is currently constructed. There are some serious questions about their ability to run the football effectively, which, you know, goes hand in hand with the offensive line, obviously. And then concerns that I've brought up here on the show, even as recently as Monday, about Shane Waldron's ability to put a game plan together and to adapt in-game to things that are happening. And and help Gino out. But for the sake of this show, I'm going to focus on the two quarterbacks. Because even though many of you, and I would say most of you, the majority of the fan base that I see that comes across my timeline believes that it's ridiculous to talk about a quarterback change and, and they're still supportive of Gino. And some of them, you know, much to their credit, are even capable of criticizing Geno's performance, saying it has to get better, but still supporting him as a starter. Imagine that. That those two things can possibly go together. But we live in a black and white era, an all or nothing era, an era of extremes and hot takes. And so there is a portion of the fan base that wants a change. And maybe it's only 10 to 20%, but it's a pretty vocal portion. And then this week on Seattle 710 on the Bump and Stacy show, Michael Bumpus came out and in a very reasoned and, and, and measured way said, I'm not calling for a change, but I do believe that based on Gino's performance the last few weeks, that Drew needs to now be part of the conversation. That maybe he needs a few more reps in practice. Turn the heat up a little bit on Gino. That, that Bump said he likes the way Gino has shown in his career that he responds to adversity. So let's send a message that it's, he's not on scholarship. This is not, uh, that, that there is another guy and it's a guy that they like, right? Let's establish that. We've heard 
multiple times. It's been reported that even though, you know, Russ dictated where he was going to go with that no trade clause, that there were other offers, most notably as reported from the Philadelphia Eagles, which you would assume then would have included Jalen Hurts, but that Schneider preferred the Denver deal because he really liked Drew Locke. They liked him coming out in the draft. And they liked him enough that they they were adamant all throughout the season last year that they'd like to bring both quarterbacks back this year. They signed Geno up to the three-year deal. And they were able to entice Locke to come back. And they're giving him they're giving him money that's at the top of the scale for what backup quarterbacks are making in the NFL these days. He's much younger. There is the thought they'd like, you know, some people think they want to keep him around long enough so he can be Geno Smith. He can be to Geno Smith what Geno was to Russ. And that someday that transition will be made. But for the here and now, I wanted to look at, okay, first of all, is it justified? Second of all, what it would take. And actually, you know what? The the whole idea of whether it would be justified or not, I'll, I'll touch on that at the very end in my summary, but that's not the approach I'm taking here in the bulk of this show. I want to just focus on what, what would happen, what might happen. What are we talking about here? Who's Drew Locke and who's Geno Smith? And why might some of you think it would be a better idea to make a change? The first thing I wanted to do is look at Pete Carroll's history. And you go back to USC, doesn't really count. You know, guys are only in there for two or three years. He always had elite quarterbacks. It was all, it was pretty much unquestioned during his time here, there, who guys were going to be, um, who the starter was going to be. And once he chose a guy, he didn't really like to alternate quarterbacks. But it was interesting. Went down memory lane a little bit today. You go back to their very first season here in Seattle, Carolyn Schneider, 2010, 14 years ago. My God. Matt Hasselbeck was in the final year of his deal. He was 35 years old that season. So not exactly apples to apples here because Gino's under contract. And, and this was a new regime looking to move forward. So that there was very little expectation that they were going to bring Matt back on another contract. But I, I, I think in some ways that even lends a little bit more credence to this comparison. He's in the final year of his deal. He's a lame duck quarterback, essentially, at 35 years old. After an outstanding career here, took the Seahawks to the Super Bowl in 2005. And then the team had acquired another quarterback. Remember clipboard Jesus, Charlie Whitehurst, right? They went out and aggressively acquired another quarterback at the start of the season, traded a third round pick and swapped seconds with the Chargers to get him. That's not nothing. And they let him compete in training camp. Matt beat him out. But then do you remember this? And, and then that whole season, right? They go seven and nine. They win the division at seven and nine. It leads to the, you know, they beat the Saints. They upset the Saints in the wild card round and uh, the Beast Quake game, all of that. And then they go, I think they lost to Chicago the next week, right? Was that the Robbie Gould? No, I'm thinking of a different season. Anyway, that's beside the point. So Hasselbeck beats out Whitehurst. But then there was a stretch late in that season where Hasselbeck struggled mightily struggled in a way that makes Geno Smith's performance over the last four games look okay. Matt Hasselbeck in a four game stretch late in that season, when the Seahawks were in contention for a division title through, I can't even believe these numbers. What's about to come out of my mouth. 
and some of you might not remember either. He threw 10 interceptions in a four-game stretch. Four of them against the 49ers in the third game of that stretch. In two of those games, back-to-back, he had eight total turnovers between interceptions and fumbles. Eight turnovers in two games. The Seahawks, not surprisingly, lost three of those three of out of four of those games. So he had 10 interceptions in those four games, 12 turnovers total, eight of them in two games. Now, in the fourth game of that stretch against Atlanta, he threw two picks in the first half. And so Carroll did make a change at halftime. He brought Charlie Whitehurst in. He led a touchdown drive. But then the next week, he went right back to Matt Hasselbeck. So that's that's really the only relatively recent example we have of how Carroll might handle a similar situation. He felt Matt Hasselbeck gave the team a best, their best chance to win, that he could improve upon his performance, and reinserted him after taking him out in the second half of that Atlanta game over a guy that they had gone out of their way to acquire who was much younger. And then he got hurt in the second to the final game, if you remember, and Whitehurst had to start the finale on Sunday Night Football against the Rams. He played relatively well, and uh, they won that game to win the division at 7-9, and nine, and then Hasselbeck came back in the wildcard game and bounced back. Guess what? Carroll's faith was, you know, it was rewarded. And Matt threw for 272 yards and four touchdowns in that win against the Saints. Everybody remembers... Beastquake. But do you remember Hasselbeck just shredding that Saints defense? Touchdown to Brandon Stokely. I think he had two to John Carlson, including one on that cool play where Carlson pretended to fall down on the ground and then get up and run. Uh, Matt was great in that game. So that gives you a little bit of an idea. Pete's not quick to pull the trigger, right? And the first thing he did in the post-game press conference, really, he kind of anticipated there were going to be questions about Gino. He came out right away and said, this isn't on Gino. There's a lot of issues today. We didn't give him enough help. So, talked about that four-game stretch from Hasselbeck, right? Let's look at Gino's last four. 62% completions, 756 yards, four touchdowns, six interceptions, two fumbles. Not good, Right? Eight turnovers in a four-game stretch, and the team is two and two over that stretch. But it was such a bad performance against the Ravens that people have called for a change. And coming off, again, some have been willing to put it in context. There was a radio caller on Monday I heard that uh, that claimed, and I didn't go back and verify this, that over the last 17 games uh, that no one has thrown more interceptions in the NFL. I would have to confirm that. There are certainly bigger name quarterbacks making a lot more money that are considered elite that have more interceptions in the league this year than, than Gino. But I just, I, I kind of wanted to look at this and here's the alluring part. And I get it. It's the unknown versus the known. We know what our eyes are seeing and our brain is comprehending that Gino's thrown a couple of bad picks. He's fumbled the ball a couple of times. He's missed wide open guys. He's not hitting guys that we think he should be hitting. Sitting on our couch, watching it on the replay, you know. 
thinking that, well, he should have just ignored those two 300 pounders in his face and, and hit that open guy down there because we can see it on our 70 inch 4k TV screen, but it's the unknown versus the known. And what we know about Drew Locke in a very small sample size is the kid has some dynamic talent, right? He can spin it. He's got a great arm. But the unknown is mysterious and it's intriguing and it's full of possibilities. It's alluring. It's kind of sexy, right? Uh, <laughs> but it can be a nightmare too. It might be better in short spurts and short samples. But when was the last time we've seen a starter, a good starter, a Pro Bowl starter get benched and have the second guy take the ball and run with it and make a career? and lead a team to the playoffs and be good legitimately for a long time. If Kurt Warner pops into your head, that doesn't count because Trent Green got hurt. He got Wally pipped. He got hurt, was out for the year, and Warner got an entire year to prove himself and went on to a Hall of Fame career. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when is the last time you remember a coach making a benching decision with a good starting quarterback not one who's 42 years old on his last legs and had that backup go on to be good long-term. Cautionary tale. Remember Mike White? Twice in his Jets career, he had an opportunity to come in in place of the starter. I think uh, it was obviously for, for Zach Wilson um, last year, but wasn't there a year? Who did he come, come in for? Um Oh, the guy with the beard, the journeyman, played for the Dolphins for a long time. Anyway, he had two opportunities to come in in a benching situation. He played really well for a couple of games. And I remember national media talking about how Mike White, because he had 300 yards and three touchdowns in his first game coming off the bench, was the franchise quarterback for the Jets moving forward. Where's Mike White now? Right? He regresses back to the mean. He becomes who he is. Defenses figure him out. There's a reason that backups are backups. He's now a backup in Miami. What do we know about Drew Locke other than that tantalizing arm, right? His only extended action as a starter, 13 games, his second year in the league, played 13 games for the Broncos. 57% completions, 16 touchdowns, 15 interceptions in 13 games. For his career, regular season NFL action, 59% completions, 20, 20 interceptions in 716 attempts. That's, that's an interception every 36 attempts. For the record, Geno's interception rate, and this includes those first two years in New York we're going to get into in a minute that were really bad. Uh, he throws an interception once every 33 times for his career, not for the last two years. I wanted to show you some video today to highlight the good and the bad of Drew Locke. And there was a game that stuck in my head. It was two years ago at Dallas when he was presumably competing for the starting job. Um, he was supposed to get the start the week before, but he had COVID, missed it. That was really his opportunity. The job hadn't officially been handed to Gino, but it essentially had. Gino played one series against the Cowboys and then Locke played the rest of the game. 
Uh, but I couldn't, they don't do all 22 for the preseason games. And I can't show the broadcast copy. It's a trademark infringement. So if any of you have NFL plus, go back to the Dallas game and watch the first half. It's all you have to watch. Because I, what stuck in my head, I remember some incredible throws and then some bad picks. I think he threw three picks in that game. And I saw them both. It took me about five minutes to find him. There's one sequence where uh, we see him being so decisive. We see perfectly placed throws, quick release, arm talent, right? We see him throw a perfectly placed touchdown pass to Penny Hart. And then he comes back on the next drive and throws a horrible pick where he's staring down his receiver, throws it right to the corner who's just sitting there waiting. And then a couple drives later, in a two-play sequence back-to-back, we see one play where he's scanning the field. He goes to his second or third read, throws a dart on the backside on a seam route over the middle into a tight window. Big-time throw. The kind of throw that kind of gets you to the edge of your seat makes you think, ooh, this kid could be something. Very next play, the DB baits him. He stares a guy down, throws it right in the chest of a corner who's waiting if you believe in sample size and you believe in skill set, we talk about this all the time come draft time. And you hear the experts say this a lot when it comes to quarterbacks. There have been examples of quarterbacks that were very highly rated, even though they had poor completion percentage in college. Will Levis is a good example of that right now. And it'll be interesting to see his progression. He's gotten off to a great start. He had the four touchdowns in his first game, right? Let's see how he is long term because his completion percentage in college wasn't very good. And that usually doesn't translate. Very, very, very few examples of college quarterbacks having low completion percentages and then increasing them significantly in the NFL. It's usually an indicator of of talent, of a skill, or lack thereof. So let's go back to college. Because they had very similar... um, Resumes, essentially. They were four-year starters for the most part. Uh, Drew played in 50 games in college. Geno played in 44 at West Virginia. Drew Locke at Missouri. So four-year starter. In 50 games, 57% completions. What What is in the NFL? 59% completions. And in 1,500 attempts, he had... 39 picks. Geno Smith in college, 44 games, 67% completions. Similar systems. They both ran spread, air raid, takeoffs. In 1,465 attempts, so about 90 attempts less than Drew Locke, he threw 21 picks. So Drew Locke, 57% completions, 39 picks in 1,550 attempts. Geno, 67% completions. 21 interceptions in 1,465 attempts. Then you get to the NFL. Geno's first two years in New York as a starter. He threw 34 picks in 810 attempts. That's bad. He was on a bad team. That's why he didn't last there. That's one pick every 23.8 attempts. Ooh, that's bad. His last two seasons in Seattle, he's thrown 18 in 825 attempts. That's one interception every 45 attempts. 
You talk about the idea of regression versus progression, right? I think this is the argument that most people would make. We're seeing Gino regress potentially. The league figuring him out. He's regressing to the mean. He's becoming what he is. It's a larger sample size. But what if Drew's gotten better? Because he did look better this preseason. I'll give you that. Couldn't find preseason stats. Hate the NFL for that. But he looked better, looked more in command, more in control. J.T. O'Sullivan on his channel said he, he really looked polished. His footwork was better. His mechanics were better. He looked comfortable. That's part of the enticement, right? Maybe Gino's regressing. Drew is progressing. But those numbers, you look at their college careers, it's kind of what they've done in the pros. Gino, 70% completions last year, 67% in college. Drew, 59% for his career, 57% in college. I mean, those of you who want Drew, Drew's basically where Geno Smith was before he got the opportunity to start, right? Well, he's a backup for a reason because he's known for turning the ball over. So what makes you think it's going to be better? Especially when we talk about issues on the offensive line, pressure rates, ineffective running game. Shane Walder not doing their quarterback any favors. Can't wait to see the full all 22. I haven't received it yet. I don't know why I get it so much later than everybody else. But I've seen enough examples of clips now that people have posted of long developing, deep pattern design plays with no help for Geno. No outlet, no running back, no tight end. They're not throwing to the tight ends at all. They're not using those three tight end sets anymore. In that situation, you really think Drew Locke would have done better based on these numbers. I would submit to you that there are maybe only five or six quarterbacks in the NFL that would have given the Seahawks a chance to win on Sunday, given how the Ravens were playing. Uh, plus on top of all that, you have to, you have to account for the new practice regulations in the NFL backup. This is why we don't see backup quarterbacks develop. It's why young quarterbacks are thrown into the mix and they have to play right away. Cause you just don't, you can't afford to give reps and practice anymore. They're practicing for like an hour and a half at most. There aren't enough reps to go around. You have to get your starter ready. You basically only have two full length practices during the week. And then a walkthrough. Can't afford to give those reps to a backup. Also, this isn't a team being rebuilt. We're on the ride. That rebuild has happened. This is a team now trying to figure out how to get to that next level and be a contender. And they're in first place right now. You don't make a change now. Especially when you have two games on the schedule now ahead of you. You come home to play the Commanders and then you play the Rams and who knows what they're going to look like. They're having quarterback issues health-wise. Are the Seahawks going to be facing Carson Wentz? At SoFi in two weeks, that's an opportunity for this offense to get right before you run into the Niners, Eagles, and Cowboys. You don't, you don't add another variable into that mix by going to an unproven backup quarterback. You stick with Geno Smith. If he struggles mightily the next two weeks, and pressure rates are better, and they run the football well, and he throws five picks in the next two weeks, 
then I'll be the first to rush to this microphone right here and tell you that before we get into that stretch against those good teams, that he's the problem. And then we need to discuss a change. But not now. Not now, you guys. The other thing that I've seen is those of you that think we should switch to Drew Locke right now, you have nothing to back it up. There's no stats. I've seen some debates on Twitter. I saw see Mike spin move our friend Griffin Sturgeon get into it with a guy and Griffin was throwing stats and data at him and the other guy was just saying I don't care Drew's a better guy that's not an argument sorry if that's all you got you excuse yourself in the debate thank you so much for watching and listening as always hit that like button subscribe to the channel follow me on Twitter at Seahawks forever as always forever and always go Hawks go Hawks